This is virtual Sunday number seven. You may be getting used to this by now. Things are still changing rapidly. We still do not have a clear idea how long this will last. And I would remind you that as bad as it might seem at times, here in America, we still have first world income, first world health care, and a first world food supply. And for that, we should be thankful. Revival part two. I'm excited about this series. I don't mean excited in an emotional rah-rah sort of way. I am excited because this is a message from Jesus Christ to the various churches. Jesus was speaking to the church. You are the church. It doesn't matter if we're separated in our homes, might be in our pajamas, or that we allow our dogs to come to worship with us now. We are still the church. I would have said cats, but I don't think they're interested in spiritual things. All right. Patrick. You did a good job last week. If you didn't get a chance to worship with us last week, go back and view the recording. Patrick talked about the church in Ephesus. They had good deeds, the right doctrine, and they had determination. But they had forgotten to emphasize Jesus and love. And during this time, especially, we need more love than doctrine. We also need some deeds and determination. So, disciple at home. Make sure you're discipling at home. Before we get rolling any further, I want to pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that even though we are separated in different locations, your spirit is present with us. Thank you for the technology to be able to do this during this time. Father, we pray that as we study this series, as we study Revelation 2 and 3, that we are mindful that we are thoughtful about what you are saying to your church. Father, open our hearts to what you want us to hear today from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. John Stott wrote a book about these letters in Revelation 2 and 3 and entitled it, What Christ Thinks of the Church. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus says to John, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Someone said you can't understand chapters 2 and 3 without reading chapter 1, and you can't understand the remaining chapters of Revelation without understanding what is written in chapters 2 and 3. One of my questions for you is this. Do you want to know what Jesus thinks of the church in 2020. This series should help us with what Jesus thought of the church in the first and second centuries, and hopefully we'll flesh out what Jesus thinks of the church, and specifically our church in Woodbury, in 2020. We'll look at two churches today, Smyrna and Philadelphia, the only two that Jesus did not have a critique for. Okay, Jesus' message to the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. We'll read the passage and then comment. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. 
you will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. I want to try and set the stage for you, tell the story of the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was one of the most beautiful cities in that part of the world and was known as the ornament of Asia or the crown of Asia. It had a small but deep natural harbor, which was good for trade, but also safe because the winds were not dangerous. The most important buildings of the city were up on the hill, which was in the shape of a half circle, thus the crown. Also significant is that it was very loyal to Rome. Around 25 AD, Smyrna was chosen to be the city to build a temple dedicated to Tiberius and the imperial cult. Their loyalty to Rome was honored and that set them apart from the other cities in the area. Smyrna took great pride in this fact. One of the major characteristics Jesus talks about is their suffering, and then he tells them not to be afraid for what they are about to suffer. Uh, I read a book by Kyle Eidelman entitled Aha. In it, he talks about a social psychologist named Jonathan Haidt who did an experiment, a fascinating hypothetical exercise. Play along with me. He had you read a written summary of a person's life who hasn't been born yet. Next, he wants you to imagine that that person is your daughter. You read her story, then you're given the providential ability and five minutes to edit out anything in her life. What would you erase first? Hardship? Suffering? Pain? Sorrow? So the question becomes, if you could edit out suffering, would you? Something for us to think about. Another major characteristic of the church in Smyrna that Jesus mentioned is that they were wealthy. The Christians in Smyrna were, even though Smyrna was wealthy, the Christians in Smyrna were physically poor. And not just sort of poor. John uses the Greek word for abject poverty. You can insert your favorite joke about how they were so poor that, and it still would not be as bad as the Christians had it in Smyrna. One reason they were poor was simply because they were Christians and the Greeks would not do business with them. On top of that, the Jews lied about them, which caused more persecution. One of the interesting things I learned was that during this time, the Christians were thought of as atheists. Yeah, you heard that right. They were thought of as atheists. They were thought of as almost inhuman. All right, I'm going to come back to that, but I want to tell you an example. So my family, Tina and I, were in Thailand for a while, and, and occasionally we would go into a Buddhist temple. Uh, the one pictured is Wat Prakao, which is the temple of the Emerald Buddha. We would go in, we would sit down, we would be very respectful. Uh, the Buddhists would come in and they would kneel, they would burn incense, they would worship before this idol of this Emerald Buddha. Uh, we did not do that, but we could sit down in the back and, and just watch and pray and and be sensitive, but the Thais did not think of us as being abnormal because this was the way they worshiped and they knew this wasn't the way we worshiped. But that was not what was going on in Smyrna. 
in Smyrna, everyone was worshiping at a temple. Every temple had a priest. So whether you were Jew or whether you were Greek, you worshiped at a temple and you had a priest. And yet the Christians were taught that Jesus was the high priest and they had direct access to God through him and his spirit. That is why they were thought of as atheists. And that is why this letter calls them rich. Also from Paul and the rest of the apostles in their writings, the Christians saw themselves as true Jews and the Jews that rejected Christ were not the true Jews. This leads to what Jesus calls the synagogue of Satan because of their rejection of Jesus and their slander of the Christians. And they are mentioned in the church of Philadelphia as well, which we'll read later. So, severe poverty, terrible slander, and then Jesus adds that some will be thrown into prison. And then Jesus tells them they will face death. Thanks, Jesus. Jesus says that this suffering will last 10 days. Wouldn't it be great if that were literal? This style of writing consistently shows that 10 days means sharp persecution, but for a limited time. I don't know if that's good news or not. I don't know what you would rather have, sharp persecution for a limited time or severe uh, or, or mild persecution for an extended period of time. I'm not sure. But Jesus then gives consolation by telling them that if they remain faithful and are victorious, then they will receive the crown of life and not be harmed by the second death. Interesting bit of history. Polycarp, a church leader in Smyrna, was martyred in 155 AD. The letter to the letter of to John, the revelation of John, was written probably around 95 AD. So Polycarp was 86 years old when he was killed, which would have put him in his mid to late 20s when this letter of revelation was given to John. Polycarp may have been one of the first believers to hear this letter read. Later in life, Polycarp refused to worship Caesar and the authorities went to take charge of him. He could have escaped, but he did not try. When they came to take charge of him, Polycarp, or Polycarp ordered that they be given a meal and he asked only for one last hour of prayer. They took him to the public arena where lions were waiting. The proconsul gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ and sacrifice to Caesar or death. Polycarp wasn't afraid of the lions, so the proconsul said that he would be burned at the stake. And then Polycarp gave this quote, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? I bless thee for deigning me worthy of this day and this hour that I may be among thy martyrs and drink the cup of my Lord Jesus Christ. You threaten me with fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched, for you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come do what you will. So John spoke to Smyrna about being faithful even when facing death and being victorious and unharmed by the second death. Polycarp spoke about it and lived it later. The church in Smyrna was told they were rich spiritually and told that they would suffer. The church in Philadelphia was praised for their faithfulness and told of their opportunity. 
So we move on to the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was named after an ancient king who loved his brother very much, thus the name. It was at the end, Philadelphia was at the end of a broad river valley which made it a good place for roads and agriculture. It was known for its vineyards. It was also known as a gateway to the east. Think of St. Louis in this country being a gateway to the west. Philadelphia was that gateway to the east and the rest of Asia. We're going to read several verses here. Here's my thinking. <clears throat> Stay with me. You may remember Patrick saying last week that the language of Revelation is found in much of the Old Testament. And more than that, I believe these letters were applicable to the churches in that day, but they are also very applicable in our day. God's word is living and active. It is alive and powerful. So we will read a verse in Revelation, reference a verse in Isaiah that they most likely remembered when they heard John's revelation. Then, stay tuned, the most important part, the application to our lives will follow. All right, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. The one who is holy is referenced in Isaiah chapter 40 and elsewhere. The key of David refers to Isaiah chapter 22. In Isaiah chapter 22, King Hezekiah had a man named Shebna who was like a presidential appointments secretary. He determined who was let in to see the king and who wasn't. He used his power for his own benefit, and God replaced him with Eliakim. This story in Isaiah is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus has the keys, and he has opened the door to the Gentiles and all people, which leads us to verse 8 in Revelation 3. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength Yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Then you can reference Isaiah 56, 6 through 8, that says, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. I think this message of this open door is very important. Philadelphia was the youngest of the seven cities. It was built around 150 B.C., and it was built for the express purpose of being a missionary of Greek language and culture to the rest of Asia. And by the time this letter was written uh, to John, the Revelation, the people in all of that part of Asia spoke Greek, and it, it had done its job really well. Jesus, through John, was telling them two things. You have this blessing written in Isaiah and elsewhere that Jesus has opened the door of blessing to the Greeks as well as the Jews. And secondly, you have a door of opportunity 
to spread that good news message to cities beyond. But we'll talk more about that coming up. Verse 9 of chapter 3. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. This idea of your persecutors bowing down to you later was talked about in Isaiah 60, verse 14, which says, The descendants of your tormentors will come and bow down before you. Those who despised you will kiss your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord and Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Talking about a feeling of vindication. I mean, that's exactly what you want. If you're being persecuted, if you're being slandered, you're, you're being looked down upon and being outcast by the whole community, and then you get, you're given this picture in Isaiah and this letter to Philadelphia that these people will bow down before you, that is an important feeling. All right, on to verse 10. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Now, I could take Revelation out of context and say this verse applies to COVID-19, this great time of testing that will come upon the whole world, but I won't. The protection that Jesus refers to is not an exemption from that testing, but it's more of an I will be with you during the, text, te- the testing which is what Isaiah chapter 43, 1 and 2 says. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You remember Polycarp in Smyrna? Most versions of the story of Polycarp say that the fire, when he was was lit on fire and burned at the stake, that the fire did not burn him and that the guard had to stab him with his spear in order to kill him. Interesting, especially when you read this passage in Isaiah. Now, for the consolation to Philadelphia from Jesus. Verse 11 and 12, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. There's a lot here. This had special meaning for those at the time because Philadelphia was almost destroyed by an earthquake in 17 AD. The tremors continued for such a long time and terrorized the city that people basically left the city, moved out into the country, camped outside the city for a long time because they were afraid to go back into the city. So that's that you won't ever have to leave. But then when he talks about its name, its name was changed twice. Philadelphia's name was changed twice later to Neo-Caesarea and to Flavia 
for the rulers that were to follow. So you will have a new name. Okay. Great Bible history lesson. If the Bible history's lost your attention, listen up. You can't miss this. Jesus thought highly of these two churches. But the important question for us is what is the church saying or what is the spirit saying to the church in Woodbury in 2020? I've got three or four things. And we'll be done. Regarding poverty and wealth. Some of us have lost jobs or lost income. And I want to be sensitive to that. But none of us are in the extreme poverty that the Christians in Smyrna were in. 1 Timothy 6.17 is probably more appropriate for us. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. That all we need does not apply to the money at all, but it applies to those spiritual blessings, which really makes us rich. Secondly, about suffering and slander. None of us have endured what the first and second century Christians had to endure. But some Christians in our world today are having to endure that. Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. If we, as Christians in 2020, receive ridicule or slander, our response should not be to fight back. Our response should be to leave that up to God. Testing can bring reward, peace, and victory feels great. Maybe we need more persecution and not less. Our attitude will be the thing we have to fight against. If we focus on the spiritual reward, Rather than the physical hurt, we can be full of joy, even in the middle of the slander. Application number three, this open door of opportunity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul says, There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. Now, opposition does not bother God unless... It comes from his own children. God has brought opportunities to our congregation before. Opportunities that required change, commitment, and sometimes sacrifice. I think of the urban ministry. I think of when it was decided that it would be better for us to meet in small groups than meet on Sunday night. I think of when Woodbury became an anchor congregation for Ciudad de Angeles. And I dare you, to try and think of all the ways God has worked in our members and many others through just these three opportunities. I believe there are many things that God wills to do through this church. It is not the size and strength of a church that determines its fruit. It is its faithfulness. May we pray, ask, 
listen and take action following his leading. And lastly, specifically regarding revival, pray for it. Talk about it. Share with others about it. Because when we repent, not just of our sin, but also of our corporate sin, the sins of our fellowship, the sins of our nation, when we unite with other believers against our common enemy, and when we lift up Jesus Christ and not just our particular church, these things can move God to bring revival to us and to others. To quote what the Spirit said to Smyrna and Philadelphia, Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus died and is now alive. Jesus is holy and true. And Jesus holds the keys, opens the doors, and writes his name on his children. I love you. Reflect on these things.